And we're back with another episode of the Geopolitical Pivot Podcast. It is your host, Samaj McDowell, and I'm here with two very, uh, I don't know how to describe you two, um, realist practitioners, just uh, just like myself, uh, and um, they're also doing the very good work of providing actual advocacy for national security and foreign affairs. Um, these two individuals are doing amazing work at the Realist Review. Um, and rather than myself butcher, because I just literally forgot how to pronounce your last names, uh, I'm going to have the both of you, one at a time, kind of introduce yourself. So that way I say face and you also um, are given the opportunity to really just put yourself out there how you want to be pronounced. So Katie, you go first and then Andrew, you go right after. Katie, you've been here before actually. I have. It's been a minute. Uh, so as Samaj said, I'm Katie Zakreski. I'm the CEO of The Realist Review. Uh, have been in charge of The Realist Review for a little while now. Of course, the pandemic makes everything seem like it was a decade ago, but it's only been just a couple of years in reality. And of course, I've been here with you before, Samaj. Um, so it's an honor to be back again. Um, I do a lot of political work. Um, not just only for the Realist Review, but also for my own organization, Citizens Climate Lobby, which is an environmental nonprofit uh, geared at working on bipartisan solutions to climate change. So thank you for having us tonight, Samaj. Oh, no, your honor is mine. Uh, mind you, Katie, your episode is still one of my top most viewed. So, oh, well, no, um, I'm flattered. Thank you. No, I hope we can do I it again. I want to be honest. Like, a lot of, uh, you, you've gotten a lot of views from... Uh, from the European theater when they're trying to figure it out. It must be the last name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they saw like, who is this lady? Like, who right? is this? <laughs> Thank you. And Andrew, this is your first time on The Pivot, so tell everyone just who exactly is Andrew? It's a big honor to be here, Samaj, even though I know I'm not the top of the ticket. I love the opportunity to ride both yours and Katie's coattails. So if I can bask in your glow, I'll take it. My name is Andrew Jarocki. I am the editor-in-chief of The Realist Review as of last year. It's a great honor to serve under Katie and really help with the reviews. Big revamp, as I'm sure we can talk about soon. The Realist Review is back in business in a big way, and so it's been a pleasure to be part of that. I'm actually only a hardcore realist at night. By day, I'm a mild-mannered policy fellow for Leaf for America. I serve in my home state of beautiful Minnesota. I work on housing policy during the day. Um, but by night, I am complaining about NATO. By day, it's HUD. By night, it's the UN. Um, so when folks talk about nation building at home, let me tell you, I, I know both sides of the, of the coin there. But anyways, it's, it's a great honor to be here. And I'm, I'm so excited to, to be here on the pivot. Yeah, Jesus. You're, you said Minnesota. I like that tourism pitch you put in. That was, that was, see, Katie, I need to do that for D.C. Like, that's something I'm at the best time in. And Katie, you're in what, Arkansas? You are correct. I'm in uh, gorgeous Arkansas, known mm. for our uh, local natural landscape, since I got a one-up Andrews tourism pitch. Uh, come right. see Arkansas. We just have... <laughs> I, 
monuments that that's that's pretty okay but you you act like that's not cool though like that 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 is cool too dc is honestly if i had to live somewhere other than little rock it would 100 percent be dc went for my first time a couple years ago and was Mm -hmm. absolutely in love gorgeous place yeah no it's it's beautiful um especially at night with capitol hill but um nonetheless uh we're going to get right into it realist review um Tell us a little bit about whichever one you want to do. Katie, you can go first. Andrew, you can go first. Doesn't matter. Rock, paper, scissor. Um, why? Give me the background of the realist review. Its aims. What do you seek to achieve? And why um, people should pay attention to the importance of, of realism in foreign affairs, national security, or just politics in general. Sure, I can go first. Uh, Andrew, feel free to jump in here wherever you like. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I've been with The Realist Review, I guess going on five years now. And to see the progress that we've made over time and the growth that we've had has been one of the most rewarding things that I can think of. We went from having maybe two or three folks on staff that we all wrote articles, um, several articles a month each in order to make um, enough posts being published to really get within the algorithm, to growing to about 20 people on staff who were all super devoted from all over the world, who were all working really, really hard. And I think that, you know, since I've started to where I am now, I've been able to really build up this career in journalism, uh, whether locally in my state, uh, federally for national publications. And Through all of my experience in varying parts of journalism, Mm -hmm. I think the Realist Review really offered something that you're not going to find in a lot of different places. Um, It's somewhere where a lot of young, budding journalists and a lot of well-informed academics can write on something that's either their specialty that might not be available on any other platform. Um, It's a place that really isn't concerned about being the first to break the story but about presenting a take that maybe you're not reading in the Atlantic or the New York Times. Um, This is, of course, a great publication because we're providing things from a perspective that not a lot of established media outlets are really making room for. The folks that we have on the Realist Review right now, I anticipate will be on the boards of these places. And from their experience here at the Review, I think that they will have really changed the way that journalism works by allowing more room for voices like the folks that you find at The Realist Review. Um, The Realist Review is comprised of perspectives and voices all around the world that you're not going to find anywhere else. So we might not be the quickest take, but we're going to be one of the hottest. Mm -hmm. If I could just elaborate on that for Katie, I think really answer your question, Samaj, why? Why pay attention to the Realist Review? Why does it exist? Um, If I can use a baseball analogy, it's the AAA League, right? This is where uh, the best future pros are developed, right? They're not at the point where they don't know how to swing a bat, right? They've grown, they've practiced, they're getting pretty good at this, but they haven't broken into the big leagues yet. And this is really an opportunity for those promising future stars, um, in this case, foreign policy, to really cut their teeth, to get their name out there. And like Katie mentioned, we're not trying to compete with the New York Times or CNN in terms of mass viewership. We don't judge our success 
with the metric of how many clicks did we get today or how many pairs of eyeballs. It's about the quantity of views. Who was looking at our articles? Because oftentimes the best view that one of our authors can get is not from hundreds and hundreds of folks um, randomly clicking around the internet, but that one PhD committee chair or that one uh, State Department hiring officer or that uh, one editor of a different publication that when they search that person's name as they apply, as a lot of our authors do, to positions at think tanks and congressional offices and contractors in the Beltway that shape foreign policy, the first results now that come up are polished articles with the professional outlet that really help give those folks a leg up and show that this is a talented person who's been working, thinking, and publishing and writing about foreign policy from a long time ago with some really cool organization. So our goal really here is to be, like I said, a AAA league. We want to find the best writers. And we have writers from the countries of Turkey to Russia to Ukraine to folks who write in southern Missouri, right? The, the difference in geography doesn't matter. What we care about is folks who they have a vision. They want to influence American foreign policy. They want there to be a more nuanced, strategic, prudent, realist-informed, restraint-informed status quo in the Beltway, and they want to be part of it. They want to make it happen, and so this is where it starts, and we're all about helping them get there. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I agree. Um, I think the, the importance for organizations like the Realist Review and um, the, the John Quincy Adams Society, um, getting into D.C. politics, foreign affairs, national security, stuff like that, it's definitely... It's a hassle, especially with already established uh, culture of the uh, the bureaucracy, really, where if you don't tiptoe a certain particular line and um, or have a particular ideological view, um, it's really very difficult um, to really get a foot, not even just a foot uh, in the door, but at least like a, a fingerprint on the window. So you're just like, okay, well, I'm here. Well, yeah, there's so many other people that are there, so you got to learn how to put yourself different from others. So um, recent, you brought up recent successes with uh, the Realist Review. You kind of had a, a relaunch, really. Um, what are, where do you, um, let's see, Andrew, where do you see yourself, as you as in the Realist Review in the next, let's say three years, give or take, if you, if you can make a strategic guess, where do you see the Realist Review in the next three years? Well, you've come to the right place, Samaj, because <laughs> we're all about strategy. That's all we do. That's all we publish. Strategy this, strategy that. Um, and just to respond real quickly, your great analogy of we don't even have a foot in the door yet. It's just a, a, hopefully a handprint somewhere. Restrainers and, and realist-minded folks, folks who have watched the imperial overreach of American foreign policy, especially in the past few decades, have really been educated by um, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, um, who now want America to not squander its position, to not repeat previous mistakes, but to properly adjust its resources for a new world, a new multipolar world with uh, many kinds of problems from environmental and trade that cross borders to health ones like pandemic to really just go old fashioned 
sphere of influence and balance of power politics that require kind of a hard-headed, clear-eyed view of the world so that we don't have ballooning deficits and budgets that get wasted on do-gooding and ultimately ineffective and unstrategic projects. This group of people um, needs a, a place, it needs a voice to be able to influence policy. And where we want to see the real review in three years is continue to grow this brand as, like I said, this is the AAA league. This is where folks who, um, just like if you write for CSIS, you write for Brookings, you write for you know any one of these kind of establishment parts of the commentariat right now that exists inside the Beltway, writing for the Realist Review is the same as writing for, say, Cato, writing mm -hmm. for, say, um, the geopolitical monitor, perhaps, yeah. um, to reference one of your uh, publications, Samaj, that this is a place where folks who want to actively be part of shaping American foreign policy in this and next era mm -hmm. um, have a way to legitimize themselves, have a way to, to make an impact. And it is we cannot overstate our case of how crucial this work is. We don't judge our success in terms of number of views. It's about penetration. Mm -hmm. Can we get in front of those really crucial gatekeepers that can accept our authors, accept our folks, and get them in positions to do that? We were just reading a, a paper the other day about why has America continued to pursue a, a grand strategy of primacy and overreach, even though it has the resources and has had ample opportunities to retrench, to focus at home, to adjust, and to avoid some of these um, terrible mistakes of foreign policy. Uh, a big part of it is that, that echo chamber that can be the beltway, right? Yeah. The folks who, when administrations look for people to staff their Pentagon, their State Department, right, to go in front of the news cameras, to shape the conversation, to lobby the, the legislators, um, it's folks that have been steeped in education that tells them, not to critically assess foreign policy and not to come away with the lessons that we think are just very plain as day about restraint and realism and how they're long overdue um, in consideration. So that's really what we're about in three years. Still being here, but uh, still being even better at helping folks find a way in. Gotcha. No, no, I, I definitely I understand. It's like this beltway is like a, a citadel when they're trying to get in here. Like it's as my grandmother always told me growing up it's about who you know first before what you know and then once you get there then it becomes about what you know but if you're going to get here if you want to get somewhere it's about who you know more in particular the individual that you know where's his position in that structure because if he's at the very bottom <laughs> you're you're in the same position as he is but if you know someone that knows a guy or a girl or you know then that's that makes all the difference. But um, my question for you, Katie, is that now that we kind of understand the, the intentions of the Realist Review and the importance of really bringing uh, realism and the ideas of uh, uh, restraint within American foreign, foreign policy and national security, where does that start? You know, where, whenever we, in your opinion, where does that start? Whenever we see um, a growing voice. It has to come from somewhere. If this is going to be successful, if we're talking about bringing young practitioners, those who never feel uh, like they have an adequate chance, but they have so amazing, so much, you know, talents and capabilities and a different outlook on national security that could be very beneficial to the United States. Uh, where, in your opinion, 
can individuals like that start um, to kind of push themselves into the beltway, push themselves even within, you know, senatorial um, offices as staffers. Like that's, that's a lot of substantial power in that, in that in those avenues as well. You don't always have to come to D.C. to feel like you have, you know, a lot of um, capabilities to make changes. A lot of change can happen within within your state, within your congressional offices. So for realists, for for young realists that want to get into policy, uh, Katie, where would you suggest they start looking or even being creative um, on their own? So I think this is an excellent question, Samaj. What I usually tell people is that if you're involved in the areas that are available to you, if you're still in school, if it's a club, um, if you're in your local community, if it's an organization, and you work very hard and you're always at the forefront of these clubs, people will find you. Yeah. That, that is something that I've noticed in my line of work that's gotten me as far as it has. Um, this, this story might help a little bit. When I was in college, obviously I loved writing because that's what I'm doing right now. But I never thought in college... That I, would go, that I was going to be able to make a living off writing. So I did a lot of policy work too, whether that was research or volunteering with a lot of local nonprofits and organizations. Mm-hmm. Well, I always worked very hard in those nonprofits and organizations and was willing to help wherever there was room to help. People noticed that. I started being contacted by other nonprofits and organizations who said, hey, we read your letter that you wrote with these guys. We've got similar goals. Can you write something for us? Mm. Well, five years later, I'm now on the national staff for one of those nonprofits that found me that I had never heard of that had found me, and now I work for them full time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's 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 a twofold thing. It's really knowing how to do research and find somewhere to get plugged in. And once you get plugged in, don't half-ass it. Do it the whole way. If you, seriously, if you work very hard, if you're very plugged in, if you're connected to folks. People will find you. Um, And in some cases, like the Realist Review, if you can't find an outlet that matches what you're looking for, make one. Because I know that the folks at Realist Review were like, you know, we do want um, budding journalists and young academics to have somewhere to write. There's nowhere like that. We'll make somewhere like that. And look at how far we've come. So my my advice to people who really want to get in there is research. Find something you're interested in. Find what's available to you. Plug in where you can. Get to know people. Work your hardest. Um, and, and folks will find you. There's always a demand for hard work. If you're a hard worker and you do well at what you want to do, folks will find you. Right. Do you want to add to that, Andrew, or are you, or, are you satisfied with that answer? <laughs> well, you know, I think seeing as she's technically my boss, I have to be satisfied with everything. <laughs> you have to be satisfied with that as well. No, I appreciate you, Angel. <laughs> I could tack something on. It would just be um, to really grow your expertise that, you know, anyone can be involved in foreign policy. Obviously, most of the mechanisms of of actual policy making happen inside Washington, D.C., but that doesn't mean that your journey to getting there and getting to be part of foreign policy can't start from anywhere. And so if you are, for example, look at me, Um, if you're based in northern Minnesota, 
Um, that doesn't mean that you still can't be part of a movement that is very much working to influence by, by like Kitty was saying, uh, joining organizations, looking for like-minded people, places, and taking on leadership roles, responsibility in them that will make you connections and also develop skills um, that allow you to be more effective, that other organizations will then want to poach you, especially ones in the field that you want to be in. But really concretely, it would be to keep in your expertise, I'd say, that um, if you want to be in foreign policy, if you want to um, be someone, uh, whether it be a policymaker, an academic, or a journalist, I would say one of the best things that you can do is really start to develop your, your unique skill set. Um, you know, we had an article the other day about um, Belt and Road in Kazakhstan, right? And did this person know 15 years ago that, like, the Belt and Road Initiative would happen and that it would go through Kazakhstan and Kazakhstan would be coming into the news all at the same time. No, absolutely not, right? Um, that moment just came and they were ready because they're already not trying to chase whatever's uh, popular or trendy today. They chose something that they're passionate about that they could learn a lot about so that they could write something um, professional, concise, authoritative, um, that they were ready to go when the moment came. And so we always counsel our writers, uh, don't try to chase too much after having the most views or writing what's the most popular. Pick something that you're really passionate about, something that you're confident that you can grow in knowledge on, that you can produce something that is really thought-provoking and thoughtful. Um, and it's better to make one great uh, quality contribution to the field than a hundred in quantity that aren't as interesting, profound, or will get you that second look. Um, and so that's really why folks should get involved, but they should especially start to discern through, if I can make a shameless plug, mm -hmm. by getting involved with organizations like the Realist Review, they can really start to discern what's my expertise, what's my passion, and start to deepen that. No, that, I agree. I think that was one of the reasons why I started the geopolitical pivot. Um, I think it was just the constant, um, whether it was more so not being really able to break into the bureaucracy at first, at least on the times that I wanted to do it. Uh, but I've been following, I like to tell people I'm a 10 year vet and studying geopolitics, even though I'm 24, <laughs> but I have been following on my own through personal research and um, classes and intrigues and interests um, for literally past 10 years. Um, but because, as I alluded to earlier, I guess I didn't know the right people that held the keys to the front, to the front gate. It didn't matter what I knew. But I understood that I had the resources are there to make yourself known. It's just a matter of knowing where to look to find those resources. And following and creating this podcast when first of all i created this podcast because my mom told me to stop nagging her about foreign affairs since she knew nothing about it um it was literally during the pandemic and every day i wanted to talk to her about what was going on overseas and she was like well Samaj, buy yourself a podcast microphone make yourself a podcast and then there you go um first episode was made in her basement and ever since here we are um but that was that opportunity that if I didn't create this podcast, if I didn't look into the geopolitical monitor, um, who knows, you know, what, I, what I have been able to get to where I am now in the district, if I did not prove 
um, that this is my life's work. This is what I take seriously. I'm very knowledgeable about this. I network. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an individual you can come to to really have these deep discussions. Um, I would show you this pile of like 20 national security books over here, but they're heavy, so they're just going to stay over there. <laughs> um, but I agree that you know, it's, it's very difficult to want to show your shine in, in foreign affairs and something, especially here in the United States, where you know foreign affairs is that of a prestigious uh, line of work. Um, defense is a very prestigious line of work. So only those that are, they're able to kind of market themselves as being amongst the most serious about it and really understand what's going on. That's usually your way in. But even if you get in, you still have to show that, that seriousness and that ingenuity, um, which is why, you know, I'm giving now an open invitation to anybody with the Realist Review. If they wish to, to speak on the pivot, they're more than happy to get in contact with me. And I will respond to them as soon as I can. And if they want to do a podcast episode, they can surely do that. If they want to debate me, they can do that too. I'm all for it. Um, I think it's very important that individuals in this particular realist movement and national security, they have we have to really honestly come together um, in some pocket or corner in, in American foreign policy. Um, because there's a very important um, crossroads that this country is coming towards uh, when it comes to what it means to really be um, an American practitioner of geopolitics, um, but also trying to always answer the questions of, well, what is America's priorities? Where do we stand on a lot of these key issues? If we have a stance uh, why are we murky about our stances? Um, if we can't answer that on top of what it means to achieve victory in the most strategically sound sense, then we're failing, institutionally speaking. So I'm, you know, I, I love the Realist Review. I do. I be, I'll read articles from time to time. Um, Katie, I've never told you that, so there you go. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you, Shabazz. <laughs> Every now and then, I'm like, oh, let me just see what's what's over there. You're um, my hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hopefully soon, once I actually have time, um, I'll write a little something on uh, non-state warfare um, and provide it to you, Andrew, so you can just crucify it and just red mark it. Like, nah, this is not working. <laughs> um but you know, I won't hold you uh, for much longer. But it was a pleasure to to have you uh, for this discussion. And whenever you two want to come onto the pivot, just let me know, and we'll uh, coordinate and make it happen. Smudge, you're wonderful as always, and oh, we, we would all look, look. We love love the invitation. Uh, I know you invited somebody to debate you, but I don't think any of us are smart enough to do that. So we'll just stick to. Podcast appearances for now, if that's all right with you. Um, but Samaj, it's it's always an honor to get to talk to you. Um, I think that that's one of the most rewarding things about being part of the Realist Review because we're this network of um, young up and coming professionals. We have the opportunity to 
interact with a lot of people that we know will be famous one day. Yeah. So I hope that when you're rich and famous one day, you can remember me and give me a nice Christmas bonus, maybe. I'm not working for you. I'd appreciate that. I would do my best. <laughs> you know what? Even beyond famous, I would say maybe the coolest thing about uh, the network that the Realist Review and by extension our supporter of the John Quincy Adams Society is building is not necessarily about famous people, though I'm sure some folks will become famous. and Who knows? Maybe even infamous. But the <laughs> word I would say is effective, right? Yeah. Um, there are right now, as I'm sure you could vouch, Samaj, folks in the Beltway who the rest of the country will never know their name and will yeah. probably never know what they look like and never know what they do nine to five. And yet what they do uh, affects the lives of millions because yeah. at the end of the day it affects where billions if not trillions of taxpayer dollars go where hundreds of bases are set up around the world where american lives and by extension families are endangered every day on questions of what is worth dying for what is mm -hmm. worth throwing blood sweat tears and treasure at in the name of our country and its goals and its interests and how you define them so you know we want to make people um who you know, they may not be famous, but they'll certainly be effective. And we want to help them get to that next step on the ladder as they climb towards that perch where they can be effective people, much like yourself, Samaj. I think yeah. you are a big role model for where we'd like our writers. <laughs> oh, and I will just I will just say, Samaj, that, you know, uh, we're all realists here, so we're all familiar with the balance of power. And when it comes to debating, I think we all recognize you're one of the hegemons around here, so I don't think... <laughs> stupid war with you anytime soon but we appreciate the the offer and look forward to i appreciate the i appreciate that um i, I mean i i've met a few who who took who gave me a run for my money when it came to certain arguments but uh i stay uncontested but nonetheless <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> um yeah well, like i said you're always welcomed on the on the podcast whenever you want to uh to come here when i you know, I'm not napping, but um, <laughs> with that, uh, thank you all for coming on and uh, I'm looking forward to our next conversations. Thanks, thank you so much. Not a problem. You all have a good night. <laughs>